Today's show is brought to you by Aptiv. Aptiv is a fabulous app and robust online community that allows you access to top-notch, motivating personal trainers who guide you through an audio-based workout that is timed to your choosing with fun, perfectly synchronized music. Like Netflix for fitness, Aptiv gives members unlimited access to their entire bank of high-end trainer-led workout classes. So if you're looking for fresh, high-quality, on-the-go motivating workouts that adapt to your lifestyle, I highly recommend Aptiv. In fact, if you head over to the curator playlists, you'll see a familiar face. I chose seven of my favorite Aptiv workouts so that you can get a well-rounded mix of workouts that will take you from intense cardio to restorative serenity. And these are some of my favorite workouts to do when I'm traveling or if I just have a spare 20 minutes between activities. And because they're the best, Aptiv is even offering Fed and Fit listeners a free 30-day trial when you sign up for monthly subscriptions at www.aaptiv.com. Be sure to enter the promo code FEDANDFIT, one word, at checkout in your first 30 days or on the house. Welcome back to another episode of the Fed and Fit Podcast. I am your host, Cassie Joy Garcia of Fed and Fit. And today I'm joined by a lovely guest. Her name is Phoebe Lapine. Phoebe is a food and health writer, gluten-free chef, wellness personality, culinary instructor, and speaker born and raised in New York City, where she continues to live and eat. Great places to eat there. On her award-winning blog, Feed Me Phoebe, she shares recipes for healthy comfort food and insights about balanced, healthy lifestyle choices beyond what's on your plate. Her forthcoming memoir, The Wellness Project, chronicles her journey with Hashimoto's thyroiditis and how she finally found the middle ground between health and hedonism by making one lifestyle change one month at a time. Phoebe, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on today. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's a true pleasure. I'm excited to hear about your story. And I love this one lifestyle change one month at a time. It's something that I tackle in a portion of my business. And I think it's very, very wise. But um, I told you before the show, I was going to hand the baton off to you because I would like for you to tell a little bit more about your story. Nobody knows you like you do. Um, so if you don't <laughs> mind, Sherry's, we would love to hear a little bit about your health journey, a little bit about your book, your blog, and um, I guess some of your biggest takeaways. Absolutely. So my health journey and my food career journey actually started around the exact same time, but it took a few years for them to kind of intersect and, um, and combine into one. Uh, so I started blogging a year after graduating college, just kind of on a whim. And at the time, you know, my food outlook didn't really have anything to do with the nourishment, um, from, each part of a meal and more had to do with, you know, the comfort of cooking and the social nourishment it gave me. Um, but around the same time, when I was leaving my corporate job to pursue um, cooking professionally and a whole variety of odd food jobs, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, um, which is, as you know, and maybe as some of your your listeners know intimately, is an autoimmune disease that affects um, the thyroid gland. 
So at the time um, when I was diagnosed by just my my regular childhood doctor, I didn't know what an autoimmune disease was. I didn't even know what a thyroid was or where it was on my body. And um, the one solution that was presented to me was to go on a synthetic hormone, which she explained was, you know, completely normal and um, it was typical to be diagnosed at this stage in my life. But I would have to be on the synthetic hormone for the rest of my my years. Mm-hmm. And I was raised, you know, by a mother who was kind of an early adopter of the organic movement. And even though I was, you know, on birth control pills and took the occasional Z pack, um, for whatever reason, just that idea of being dependent on a synthetic drug for the rest of my life was just not something that I wanted to sign up for. So I did what any super mature 22 year old would do. And I left the office and pretended the conversation never happened and went on living my life. And in the years that followed were kind of when I just like grabbed my career by the horns and was taking on, you know, pretty much any odd food job that came my way. And in those years were when my symptoms really started to progress. And as I say, I kind of descended from health mountain. And eventually, I ended up, you know, in an office of a doctor with a more holistic perspective who did some food allergy testing and um, put me on an elimination diet. And kind of with all results in hand, it was clear that gluten was a serious trigger for me. Um, At the time, it wasn't explained to me that this is something that's very typical for Hashimoto's and not something that was necessarily just specific to me, although, of course, you know, all of those individualized tests um, proved it as such. Um, So that was kind of my first moment of really tackling any sort of lifestyle change. But at the same time, it was also one, even though it was just one, that was incredibly terrifying. And this is, you know, six years ago before um, people really knew what gluten-free was or what gluten was. You know, there was only one pasta, maybe at the health food store, or if it was at the main store, you know, supermarket, it was shoved to like a dark corner with all the other crunchy granola organic options. And yeah, I felt like I was kind of in this place with my career um, where I was just, you know, trying to get every job possible. And as an aspiring food writer and chef, it was just so daunting to have any sort of dietary restriction. Um, Never mind the fact that my first cookbook was actually coming out a week later and I could no longer eat any of the recipes in it. Mm. So, you know, had I had you as my coach at the time, I'm sure. (laughs) you would have helped me through and been like, okay, one change at a time. Um, But for this particular one, I kind of, I got on board halfway with the gluten, but it was just the rest of it, all of the other lifestyle recommendations that came with for detoxing other parts of my life just went in one ear, not the other. Um, Sorry, this is a very long answer. I love it. Keep giving. I love it. Um, so yeah, it's like my seven year tale of how I got to the point of taking on this, this wacky wellness project. Um, but eventually I kind of, you know, the pendulum started to swing in the other direction. I started subscribing to newsletters and certainly the amount of information out there, um, not just about being gluten free or about Hashimoto's, but just, you know, 
the wellness world in general just started to mushroom and I started to get a little bogged down and overwhelmed by the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of coming at it from this same central question, um, that was something I really grappled with, with that first change that going gluten free. Um, but something that I certainly, um, would kind of come up every time I read a different listicle that had a piece of information that conflicted with another piece of information or that required me to, you know, buy hundreds of dollars worth of equipment or supplements or what have you. But the question that kept coming up to me was, you know, as, as a young 20 something, how do I do right by my body without giving up my life? And that was eventually, um, kind of the driving force that led me to kind of stop what I was doing and take a step back and say, okay, well, I'm getting a little, a little caught up in, in just the food side of things. I'm getting bogged down by all of this minutia. What is, what are the kind of the macro things that I need to do in order to wake up with energy every morning? And so I created this curriculum for myself that was, again, like one change one month at a time. And the idea was really not just to become my healthiest self, although, of course, I wanted to reverse a lot of the symptoms that progress that were still progressing, despite, you know, the few changes I had already made. Um, One of them being I had terrible skin and vanity was a very powerful motivator for me, (laughs) as it can be for others. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so yeah, it was it was not just to become my healthiest self, but it was really to find some sort of sustainable middle ground going forward. And I did kind of suspect that it would require maybe going through some periods of extremity in order to find that road of moderation going forward to really see the contrast and and what was worth the time, money, and energy and what wasn't even despite, you know, some of the best scientific and spiritual intentions. Um, and that's where I kind of landed on this philosophy of healthy hedonism that um, became kind of my guiding light throughout the book, throughout the experiment, and is kind of my philosophy now. Amazing. Wow, I really love it. So I it was something I I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with um, my, my work, Phoebe, but we do something similar where we try to get folks for, as a nutrition consultant, right? I was, I was working with people one-on-one after my own health transformation, um, and it was one of those where you realize, similar, I feel like, to that kind of point where you got with yourself, you realize food is not the only answer. You know, we get to this point where we, it's just the answers aren't always going to be on a plate. Mm. Um, and so the fed and fit project works to address lifestyle markers overall. And something I think that you said really eloquently that I really like are the periods of extremity needed before you get to that point where, um, you don't have to live quite as extreme in these different realms to see what sticks and what works with you. Um, was there, what were some of your biggest takeaways in this journey? The biggest changes that you are the changes that you made that felt had the biggest hit. Um, and then I'd also love to know, were there any areas of extremity, um, maybe extreme with diet uh, or being really strict with yourself that, um, you found kind of weaning yourself into a more everyday lifestyle? Um, how did you kind of crack that code to make it, I guess, more sustainable in the long run, more playing towards this healthy hedonism, as you say? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, 
the most extreme I went was actually my first, my first 30 day experiment. And, um, it was for a variety of reasons, kind of a recommendation through one of the practitioners. I was seeing that I really needed to focus on rebooting my liver, but I decided to take out sugar, alcohol, and caffeine all in tandem. I called it my vice detox because (laughs) those three things were certainly my biggest vices of all. And, you know, I, I think I, I had obviously taken out those things when I had done my original elimination diet, and a lot of people do so when they're doing clean programs or what have you, but I think somehow just focusing on those three instead of making all of these other dietary changes at the same time really allowed me to focus on kind of the emotional and physical side of the cravings. Um, and people ask me too about this one. Well, why why didn't you just do one at a time? Why do you do all three together? And I actually really think that those three feed each other. If you think about it, when mm-hmm. you're not eating sugar, you don't really have that that crash after breakfast or lunch that would necessitate caffeine. Um, when you're not staying up drinking, <laughs> you don't need it the next morning as much. Um, and certainly when you're not drinking, you can make smarter food choices, no matter what time of day that is. Um, so I thought it was, and also those three things kind of have these social elements baked in, certainly mm-hmm. more so the caffeine and alcohol. Um, and then of course the the goal behind it just being this idea of detoxing the liver which doesn't require you to buy any sort of expensive potions or do a juice cleanse you know it's really about just kind of getting out of your own way and those three things are probably the most problematic um, as a whole for your liver and certainly the things that are most problematic that you're consuming every single day for some of us um, so it was so. What did I I learn from the whole thing? Um, many things, and I think probably my biggest learnings overall over the course of my project actually were really emotional in nature, both by you know in terms of those cravings, but also just kind of aspects of my social wellness, which was certainly kind of part of the pro and con column that I wanted to evaluate in terms of healthy hedonism. Um, Because I think that either something has to have, you know, a huge impact on the health that really makes it, you know, like sets off a light bulb in your mind, or it has to, you know, be enjoyable to some extent and not take away too much from your social wellness, your financial wellness, and just, you know, your ability to feel like you can have the freedom to live your life. Um, so I really, so alcohol, um, was the one I was the most nervous of, of the trio. And I kind of realized just in the social, which social situations that I had the most trouble with. And it was usually kind of with an intimate group at a dinner table or, or ordering out at a restaurant and not wanting to call attention to myself or be different or not be able to share in an experience. But kind of one of the lessons that I learned and kind of learned again and again throughout my project was about being the problem child. And I think that in many ways I'd kind of, and this goes for gluten as well and kind of my struggles with that previously, but I think, you know, I kind of had used you know, not being the problem child as an excuse or as a justification for my hedonism, you know, just 
you know, this is me. I just want, don't want to be difficult. I want to live my life. And I kind of realized that that wasn't worth it. Um, I use the example in the book and it's actually, it's resonated with a lot of people, but I don't know if you've read the book Gone Girl or seen the movie. Yeah. So do you know the concept of the cool girl? Yes. Yes. So it was, so the concept of the cool girl, it's rooted in a lot of cultural tropes that women are supposed to be, you know, easygoing and, um, you know, down to hang and drink cheap beer and eat hot dogs and what have you. Um, and I kind of definitely like zone, honed in on parts of my personality that were, I think, a little bit too caught up in being the cool girl. And that was something that I had to let go of, certainly in that first 30-day period, and had to kind of let go of again and again, um, especially when it came to food. Um, so kind of the middle ground going forward for those three things, I, I brought them all pretty much back into my life. Um, I drank a whole, I drink a whole lot less coffee now, like hardly ever once a week, if that, um, some green tea here and there. So that was one that was kind of easy for me on the healthy hedonism front. I didn't miss it very much. And so I just kind of have kept it out for the most part. Um, but alcohol is one that I have to set some more boundaries for myself. And part of it is again, kind of, um, reminding myself again and again that I don't need it to have fun and I don't it because we can always make excuses for ourselves in social situations or if we look at our calendar you're like oh I have you know a wedding this weekend I have you know someone's birthday dinner x and x you know night outs on the town like this is going to be a difficult week not to not mm -hmm. to drink but I think that's kind of silly. So just once a week, once one week out of every month, I just, you know, have that be my reset, no matter what's going on that particular week. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to think of your question was a three parter. And it I was. think the third part was about um, kind of going from one extreme on the food front to, um, to a lesser extreme. And I guess, yeah, so the sugar part certainly affected my diet. Um, and I'm far from sugar free now, but for me, it was really about eliminating the mindless sugar. And that kind of goes for, you know, some of the other things too, like the coffee had become kind of mindless for me at some point. And once I took it out and felt, you know, all of the energy that comes with, you know, not being reliant on caffeine, I realized that it was silly, you know, to put it back in when I could replace the ritual with something else. And then, yeah, sugar, there was just so much mindless sugar and some of my healthy packaged foods, quote unquote healthy, that I was eating um, that added so much to my my quota every day when I could have just been, you know, eliminating that and having the special occasion treat every once in a while so that it actually felt special um, and not having to stress about that. Um, and in general with my diet, and this was a kind of an observation going into the project, which is maybe why I didn't get crazy extreme on the diet front beyond just those little pockets, um, and focusing more on just anti-inflammatory eating for one month, um, is that I just realized that the more I was stressing out about what I was eating, the less quote unquote, well, I ended up feeling at the end of the day. And I'm a true believer, especially after this whole year long odyssey, that stress is the most harmful toxin that we can ingest more so than pesticides, more so than, than anything really. And when you're stressing about what you're eating, it doesn't really matter how many, you know, 
handfuls of kale or, or chia seeds you eat on top of it, I think it, undo, it undoes a lot of the, the good. I totally agree with you. I think that mindset is that um, unspoken context that we operate in and it has such a huge impact on our overall health. Uh, and folks who can learn kind of how to work around that are better off. It's, it's interesting. That makes me think of between the wedding analogy and, um, you know, just the stress analogy, just talking about stress in general. I think of some clients that I've worked with over the years, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I think it bears repeating. Um, if they're working in, let's say, a period of nutritional extremity, right? Mm-hmm. And they're trying to really whittle down, see how they can feel their best so that they can work from there to build, you know, a real, I call it the perfect you plan, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like, you, you know, including that, you know, that North Star of healthy hedonism. Um, I remember folks saying, well, I'm, I'm working in this period right now in this, uh, I call it the feel good reset part of the project, but my best friend's daughter is getting married this weekend and I'm totally worried about the cake and about the champagne. I don't know what to do. And my response is always eat the cake. Like (laughs) eat the cake. Like don't worry about it. Go and enjoy your life. And the important thing is not to stress about what or what is or is not in scope, but more so looking back on it, it's how do you interpret it? Because I think that if we're trying, because stress is such a difficult blob to articulate, Uh. right? It's such a difficult thing to really, you can't really find the four corners of it. We can't iron it out and figure out how to tuck it away neatly. You know, it's it's just there. And so what, what can we do in an, in an actionable sense is try to not feed the blob, right? Mm. Um, (laughs) And if we cut off its life source, maybe it'll whittle away a little bit, but stressing about our stress levels isn't a good thing either. So how do we cut off the life source a little bit is by not worrying about if we're making the right or wrong decisions. We just look at them instead and say, well, what can I learn from this? It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was what it was. And what can I learn from this moving forward? There's no shoulds or shouldn't haves. Um, so anyways, I love, I love that part of it. And I'm glad that you called that out. We definitely have a lot of perspectives in common and I'm kind of curious in the book and I'd like to get a little bit back to your story after this quick question, but, um, do you, I have not, I haven't flipped through your book yet, but I'm really excited to grab it. Do you have a template for folks to follow in the book? You kind of outline what you've done month by month, or is it more of just follow along in your journey, um, and pull away and take away for yourself what, whatever resonates with you? Yes. So it's mainly rooted in memoir. And I did that on purpose just because as a consumer of all the information that was out there, it was what I really felt was like was missing and a companion that I really craved at the beginning or, you know, I guess the middle of my journey when I actually started to take my health seriously. Um, And then at the end of each chapter, I kind of have these healthy hedonist tips, which are really kind of the distilled information and ways you can kind of pick and choose your own adventure if you want to take on your own project. But I actually do have an ebook supplement for those who have bought the book on how to create your own four weeks to wellness kind of micro project, since I don't know that everyone wants to take on a whole year long uh, project, but you can easily kind of experiment with some of these things by just, you know, 
blocking off one month's time and either choosing four small baby steps towards one goal or maybe four small things that you've been wanting to try and just doing so with awareness. So um, if you do pick up the book, I can share the link with you for your show notes um, to download that supplement. And then, yeah, there's some tips at the end of the book as well in the appendix for kind of how to go about designing your wellness project. Um, But kind of back to, you know, just really paying attention and Uh, You can do that. I would recommend via journaling because it's so much easier to kind of keep track as you go and just, you know, carve out time to check in with yourself. But I love your, you know, you talking about the wedding cake with clients. And what's interesting is I would also say, though, like, like, why are you stressed out about the about the champagne and the cake? If it's because of what other people think, there's more work to be done there, perhaps. I don't know that that's a good enough reason. I say, if you just want the cake and the champagne, totally have it. Um, but yeah, I know for me, it was I had to get over those elements of, of what other people are going to think um, in order to truly, you know, kind of commit to some of these other practices. Yeah, and that's very profound. I mean, the idea of not wanting to wanting to make sure that you're still the cool girl, and I think, or perceived as such, I think that, you know, I am, so I'm in my early 30s now, and I definitely went through that phase, you know, through college. I was totally the cool girl, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had, I was down for pizza and cheap beer whenever. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I'm down for that. Um, and, and I, and I see, I can definitely identify with that sentiment of that being a mental, um, a mindset hurdle to overcome. I do think though, that a lot of folks, a lot of my clients are, some of them are in their twenties and thirties and a lot of them are in their forties and fifties and they don't so much care about what people think as much as, um, they just want to do the right thing. You know what I, Mm. you know what I mean? Um, and it becomes a totally, it's interesting. It's interesting how that bar, that, that mindset bar that we have to hurdle kind of moves just like nutritionally, how that bar moves as we age, we need different things as we age. I think we also have to pay attention to, um, you know, our, our drivers on the inside and what motivates us, um, and what might keep us from making truly decisions that propel us towards true wellness. So I think that's really interesting. I'm curious now. So um, in this healthy hedonism, are there any hard lines that you still don't cross or things, practices that you still do your best um, to achieve today? So I know that hydration, for example, is something that you touch on in the book. I know that uh, rest is something that you touch on. Are there any things that you really make a priority even though you're trying to not live in an extreme sort of uh, format or project right now? Absolutely. And I love that you actually just said hard lines because that's exactly how I tell people to go about it. It's really kind of my whole year in a nutshell, I think, was about figuring out where the hard lines were and where there could be more wiggle room. And, you know, some, so I think probably like my real, like non-negotiable is only gluten, like not having gluten. Now that I understand from um, an organ perspective, what it's doing to my body. And it's not just a matter of like me having a stomach ache after I eat it, but truly understanding that because I'm, my body lives in some sort of 
autoimmune cloud of inflammation um, where my body mistakes the gluten protein for the thyroid protein because they look very similar um, that I'm kind of, you know, it's a chicken or the egg thing in terms of maintaining, um, keeping my antibodies down and maintaining good thyroid health. Um, now it's become actually more of a non-negotiable than it was before. And some of the other things, you know, other things in my diet, certainly I know aren't wonderful for me. Don't make me feel wonderful, but there's a little bit more wiggle room there. And certainly I think, you know, setting myself up for success at home where I do spend most of my time, especially being, you know, freelance and self-employed, um, like yourself, um, setting myself up for success at home is so important so that I can find more of that wiggle room out in the world. Um, but in terms of the other elements, um, I think I really do find more wiggle room across the spectrum. And what allows me to do that, I think, is just knowing that I have this diverse tool set of self-care um, at my fingertips. And so, you know, life throws you different curveballs from day to day um, and different sets of circumstances and constraints. And so I kind of just like dip into my toolkit every day for some sort of, you know, solution on the self-care front, be it food, water, sleep. Um, I definitely do try and drink half my body weight in ounces of water a day because that was actually something that was really easy for me to do. Um, it was one of those kind of 30-day wellness sprints that just stuck with me without having to think about it. And it's really just a matter of taking a water bottle with me when I'm traveling. That's when I struggle the most and having that bottle on my desk in front of me so that I'm staring at it and know to refill throughout the day. Um, and then in terms of the rest and the sleep, um, for me, it was a lot of battling insomnia, which had been something that I've struggled with since childhood, even long before there was kind of a hormonal <laughs> root cause or could have had a hormonal root cause. Um, but I've kind of noticed that being autoimmune, being a highly sensitive person, it's more about, it's less about, oh, well, of course it's about, you know, number of hours of sleep, but it's also about not actually overextending myself with my schedule. So my one other kind of non-negotiable hard line is I do try and have at least like two nights of downtime a week. And this past month has been a crazy one for me because my book came out and I've been doing much more traveling and definitely didn't take any of my own advice in the scheduling of events and festivities around the launch. Um, but it was actually good because I really, you know, came to understand what a non-negotiable just blocking off the calendar for two nights is. I really struggled without it and wish that I had, you know, been more in tune with my own, my own learnings and advice from the book that I was promoting when going about the scheduling of this tour. Um, but I think, you know, what's miraculous on top of that is even though I knew that I hadn't necessarily, you know, stuck with that non-negotiable, set myself up for success in that way, there were so many other ways that I could make sure to fuel myself, to nourish myself um, throughout the day and also making sure to, that I went to bed on time and what have you um, that prevented me from completely burning out.
Mm -hmm. Awesome. I love that. You know, um, I always say that there are times and seasons to, you know, really focus on different areas of wellness. And, and there are, for example, there's a lot of parents who listen to this show and they've got young kids and there's absolutely no way that they're going to be able, babies, they're going to be able to get as much sleep as they know that their body right. necessarily needs at certain points in time. And there are things that we can do, you know, if we look at the total load of what we're carrying and I, I mean, I can't help it. I'm such a visual person. Every time I say total load, I imagine a camel and straw <laughs> <laughs> on the camel's back. You know, we're, we're meant to carry a burden. And um, if in, on our, us as intelligent folks, you know, and we're concerned with health and wellness, we're trying to constantly remove some of that burden, you know, so it's a little bit lighter of a load and we're not breaking our back and essentially in this metaphor. And I think that there are times when we can take certain things off our load, you know, whether it comes to eating really well, taking those two nights off a week, and there's other times where it's just not a reality. And so to your point, what we do is we we add in other practices. When I was on my book tour, for example, I did the same thing. I traveled with my friend <laughs> Diane, and we were just very, very intentional about the food we ate. We didn't eat sweet treats, even though we're going to all these really amazing cities with gluten-free bakeries that we would love to go to. Um, but we allowed ourselves, I think we were out for three weeks. We allowed ourselves one a week because it wasn't, it didn't feel like a restriction. It felt like an indulgence when we did have it, but it's because we were so concerned with our health because we were traveling on an airplane almost every single day. I took colloidal silver as a preventative. You know, we always tried to make sure that we were getting our sleep and Diane and I, when we both got home, we were, we still talk about it. It's almost been, I think we're coming up on an, our year anniversary later this summer, but we were talking about it recently, how great our skin looked after that book tour. <laughs> Aww, that's amazing. And it's because we were so, so much more intentional with the things that we could control. Mm -hmm. Right. Then I was the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The stress of travel. And so I think that that's great. You've got such a balanced perspective. I'm so, I mean, everything that you're saying, I'm sure that there are a lot of listeners that are nodding their head and they, you know, you really, you're preaching to a lot of the choir and I'm so thrilled that you took the time to come on today's show. It's absolutely in line with what we talk about here. Um, are there any, are there any last big pointers you would like to chat about before we close the show and tell folks where to find you? Yeah, I guess just two things. Um, just going off of what you said with your camel analogy, which I love. But another another thing that I kind of think is so important is, again, in kind of the same vein of the mindless sugar, mindless caffeine, um, I think there are some ways to kind of reduce our our toxic burden on a daily basis, be it, you know, changing some of our personal care products to naturals, changing our cleaning products to naturals, um, putting a, a water filter on my tap was a big one for me and my shower head. But those were things that kind of required some upfront investment. Um, they're also the things that you don't necessarily feel kind of this, this tangible, visceral difference right away. But again, and this is maybe more more pertinent for the autoimmune set who are so sensitive to various chemical exposures. But just getting those things off the table, I think have really helped me in the long term, especially on those days when I'm not perfect on, you know, my other practices, at least like my starting line is in such a better place than it was beforehand. And again, it's, it's a very hands off way to, to have that. Um, 
And then the second is, um, I love what you're saying, that you have a lot of new parents in your practice. But I would also say that, you know, your body changes over time. Nothing's a life sentence. But then also your hedonism, your idea of hedonism changes over time. And for me, it's not just, you know, the the sweet treats or the, or the glass of wine. It's really, you know, hedonism to me means anything that uh, lifts your spirits or brings you pleasure. Um, and that can be, you know, some, some, sometimes that can include healthy things like just a 10 minute walk outside, soaking up some sun. Um, and yeah, certainly as I've gotten older and <laughs> relinquished the cool girl and just settled into my early thirties, um, it has not been that difficult to block off a few nights of, of me time and Netflix and chill time. Um, so it's just something to consider and maybe being flexible on both ends, um, both on not being too stringent about the health rules, but then also, you know, just being open to the fact that your, your idea of fun can change over time as well. Absolutely. I'm sure that people are nodding their heads along with you um, when you said that. That's wonderful. I really love it. I appreciate everything you said, Phoebe. Thank you for coming on. If you wouldn't mind telling folks really quickly where they can find you and where they can find your book. Sure thing. So you can find me at mynamephoebelapine.com or my blog, which has tons of gluten-free recipes and other resources, which is feedmephoebe.com. And if you backslash book, you can find out everything about the wellness project, where to buy it. Um, also the link to that um, free ebook supplement. Wonderful. And we will get all of that linked up in the show notes for today. So you guys will have handy Handy links ready there to click on. Thanks so much again, Phoebe, for coming on. And thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, if you enjoy the show, uh, really appreciate it if you head on over to iTunes. Pull up a Fed and Fit podcast over there. Leave us a review. It really helps to get the show into the hands of other folks. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again next week. 